good. Good to hear you pray and good to be able to study the Word of God this morning. Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Philemon. Philemon, yes, we're here to look at Philemon. And uh, Philemon is the story. He, uh, it's a, Paul's writing probably the most personal letter that he has written. He's writing it to a friend of his, Philemon. And he's writing about a very delicate subject to be written about. Uh, Onesimus, or Philemon's household slave, Onesimus, has run away for some unknown reason. We don't know why he ran away, but we know he did from his master's house in Colossae. And his master's house was also where the church met. And so he may very well, Onesimus very well, may have stolen some money to fund his getaway. We don't know. But we know that it cost his master in time and in, 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 re, in just it, his running away. You've got to put yourself in Philemon's sandals. Him running away uh, wronged his master personally, shamed him socially. I mean, the church met there. They all knew about it and robbed him financially in some manner, shape or form. And this man, whose name means profitable or useful, became unprofitable and very unuseful to his master. But somehow, in God's providence, somehow in God's providence, he made his way to Rome. Somehow, he connected with Paul in prison. We don't know how that happened, except that God is in charge, he, he, is, he is able to work and to move people where they need to be. And somehow, Paul led Onesimus to Christ there in prison. And so now Onesimus has begun to live up to his name. His character has been changed. He has now become useful and profitable to the Apostle Paul. Uh, being able to run errands for him because Paul is in chains. And yet... Onesimus, like all of us, you can't run away from your past. You cannot run away, even when you get saved, you cannot run away from your past. You, 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 you have to make things right, and there's consequences to our sin. And so the time has come for Onesimus to return and to reconcile with Philemon. But Onesimus is like the rest of us. When we're in a mess, we need a mediator. And so Paul acts as a Christ-like mediator. So if you want to think about the letter to Philemon, think about it this way. Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub of trouble. That's what it's all about. Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub of trouble. You have the man in the mess, Onesimus, who's like the rest of us. You have the man who is the master or is he? Who's the ultimate master of Philemon's life? And then you have the man in the middle, the Apostle Paul, who acts like a Christ-like mediator. And that's what the story is about. What is the big purpose of this letter? What's the big ideal? Real fellowship in Christ breaks through barriers to refreshing relationships with one another. That's what the little letter is about. Real fellowship in Christ breaks through barriers to refreshing relationships. 
But what are the benchmarks of real fellowship? Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 3, the introduction to the letter, Paul's greeting. And in Paul's greeting, he laid down four fundamentals of real fellowship. It can never be forced. It always results from releasing our rights. It's always personal, but never private. And it's never possible apart from God's divine resources of grace and peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. But what are the benchmarks? How do we know that we're experiencing real fellowship? How do we know and how do we make that effective in our lives? Well, verses 4 through 7 are going to give us these three benchmarks. And Paul is now praying. I think this is interesting. Look at verses 4 through 7. Paul is praying. That's because he's applying the four fundamentals. He knows this isn't going to happen without divine resources. He knows this isn't going to happen without God being at work. He can't force Philemon to do this. So what's the first thing he does? He prays. But his prayer is praise. It is thanksgiving. He says in verse 4, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. So he's praying because only God can accomplish what he wants to see happen. Real fellowship between Onesimus and Philemon. But he's praising Philemon before he asks him to do something that's going to be very difficult. And he's basically saying to Philemon, you know what real fellowship is. Here's the benchmarks. You are meeting them. Now, he's going to set him up in the sense of, now I want you to experience that with your runaway slave. I want you to live it out in a very difficult relationship. So, you know, it's easy to listen to this teaching until, you know, it is easy being a Christian under divine truth, until you got to apply it. Oh, forgiveness. God's forgiven me. I forgive others. But not you. See, you, know, you see what I'm saying? It's you. It's, it's when it gets personal. When it, when it gets real. That's why I'm calling this real fellowship. And so he praises Philemon. So let's look at these three verses, or, or four verses, uh, it, it freaks me out how much theology is packed, how much truth. So let's, let's read it together. And some of it is hard to interpret. And so you're going to read in your translation. You're going to see there's different ways. You know, it, it's all saying the same thing. But notice the differences as I read here from the New American Standard. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul prayed very personably, personally and repeatedly for, for individuals and for whole churches. He was a praying man. Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship or the partnership or the sharing of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts 
of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. It just bleeds real fellowship. And so what I want you to see from this are three benchmarks for real fellowship. Benchmark number one is this. Real fellowship is radiating fellowship. It radiates out of the heart of a true believer. It is radiating fellowship. So what does that mean? It means simply this. Number one, radiating fellowship is the overflow of a growing relationship with Christ. It radiates out of you. You say, well, I, I, I'm introverted. I, I, I can't experience fellowship. The question I have for you is not whether you've taken a personality test. My question is, are you a true believer? Because if you are, you have the ability and the resources to radiate out of you it's the overflow of a growing relationship. And there's three ways, three amazing ways. And I know I'm a Bible nerd, weird, strange person. But I think this is cool. And I think you should see it as cool too. The Holy Spirit reveals this truth in three very interesting ways. Number one, the inspired circumstances of the letter. Real fellowship flows from a growing relationship. We see this in the circumstances of the letter. Philemon was written at the same time and to the same location as Colossians. And while the ink dried on the parchment of Colossians, Paul also wrote Ephesians. And the reason he did that is because Colossians is about a growing relationship with Christ, but you can't have a growing relationship without it overflowing into real fellowship. So while he's writing Colossians, he's also writing Philemon, because these two should never be separated. These ships, relationship and fellowship, should never be separated. But there's a third ship that goes with them, and that's membership in the local church. And so these three letters of Paul were all written at a, basically the same time because the Holy Spirit is saying to you and me, do you know Christ? Well, then you ought to have fellowship with other believers. And guess where you find that? In the membership of the local church. Today, it's very popular for Christians to separate these all out. It's sad. They silo this out. I have a relationship with Christ, and that has nothing to do with anyone else. Or I have fellowship over here in this parachurch thing that I'm doing. Or I have fellowship by watching online. You know, I talked to someone recently who said, yeah, I've been here. And I'm like, you have? I haven't seen you. I'm sorry. I've missed you. No, I mean, I, I, I've been here. I've been watching online. I'm like, I know, but that yeah. you've been here, but you haven't been here. I'm just now hugging on you. I'm just now talking to you. It's all a part of membership. And listen, if you're a member of our church, that's a commitment to the Lord to have a growing relationship, to have real fellowship, and to have outstanding membership, which means being involved in Easter extravaganza, which means serving in some ministry actively. So there's the circumstances. Secondly, the Holy Spirit has provided an inspired chiasm 
of the sentence. Now, Jerry, you, you, you love this word. You, you, you know it's one of my favorite words. Chiasm. It's a great word. It comes from the Greek word for the letter X, okay? And it's a literary device where, and, and I played it all out for you. Here's the verse. Your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. That's a chiasm. So it starts with love, and then it talks about faith in Christ, and then the other piece of the sandwich is love towards all the saints. So I, I have it there in your notes. There's, it's a faith. Fellowship is a faith sandwich. At the middle of fellowship is our faith in Christ. And the two pieces of bread that holds it together is love towards the saints. The way he wrote this, this verse. Now you're saying, now, Chris, I, I don't, I, I'm just now learning what a chiasm is. I don't even know if I would have recognized that. Okay, compare scripture with scripture. I gave you three verses. Colossians 1.4, Ephesians 1.15, Galatians 5.6. If you would just... Do a concordance study, you would see in Colossians 1.4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, it flows out of your relationship. Ephesians 1.15, Therefore also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So there it is again and again. That real fellowship is the overflow. It radiates out of a growing relationship. And Paul really drives that home with the way he writes this verse. Thirdly, the inspired choice of the words. In verse 6, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, The fellowship of your faith. Faith. Fellowship flows out of your faith in Christ. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. So let me ask you, if this point is true, if this, if this is a true biblical reality that fellowship flows out of our relationship, then is your fellowship real? Is it shallow? Or is it false? Look at the chart that I have there for your notes. Real fellowship flows from your own growing relationship. Shallow fellowship relies on others' relationship with Christ. Shallow fellowship is a believer. They're a believer. They're like Lot. They're scarcely saved. They're a believer. But when they come to church, they're not bringing the overflow of a growing relationship. They come to church, they're consumers. One, to say it a little more directly, maybe harshly, they're leeches. They come and they draw from the relationship of others with Christ. Do you know Christ? Yes. How did you spend time with Him this week? How did you... Relate to him this week. Bring the overflow here into our fellowship. Or are you dependent, relying on the fellowship of others? And here's what's scary. If you do that very long, you may deceive yourself into thinking you're really born again. Because there's people in every church, including our church, who are not true believers. They may think they are. And they depend on others 
spirituality to feel spiritual, but in reality, Christ is going to say to them on the judgment day, depart from me, I never what? I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And it was evident in your lack of fellowship. You know, this is the beauty of one-on-one discipleship. It's the beauty of being in a grow group. Because you can't stay in one of our grow groups and not have a growing relationship and not feel awkward. And not feel, well, man, everybody else is saying something, but I don't have anything to say. And believe me, I've been in groups. I've been in grow groups with people who I don't know whether they're saved or not. I know this. They didn't have a growing relationship. And it was miserable for them. And it was miserable for the rest of the group. Because there's just nothing flowing out. They're stoic. They have walls of isolation. And I don't judge them. I go home burdened for them. Because I'm like, you're missing out. And what's weirder is you just sat for two hours with us and you didn't enjoy what we were doing. So this is, this is big stuff. What, what, is your fellowship real? Is it shallow? Is it fake? Well, there's more to go to. So let's keep going. Not only does real fellowship radiate as the overflow, but also it radiates outward. So here's the second point. Radiating fellowship flows outward to others who need it. So here's the thing. If you have an active faith, it will show itself in acts of love. Can, that's, that's, that's worth writing down. Okay. If you have an active faith, it will show itself in acts of love towards others. Is your fellowship flowing outward? Is it radiating to at least three groups of people? Love for the saints to refresh them. Love for the saints. It should radiate out to other believers, including the hard-to-love ones. Look to your neighbor and say, including the hard-to-love ones. (laughs) It's a truth. It's a truth. Including, and, and, and the reason we all laugh is because you're sitting next to someone who is hard to love sometimes. Right, Gwen? I'm not talking about you and me. I'm talking about you and me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, we have a hard time. It radiates out to the saints, even the hard to loves. It radiates out to seekers, repenters. Whatever you want to use. The idea of people who have sinned and now they're asking forgiveness. It radiates out to them. Okay? And so what we're seeing in these verses is Philemon was very good at this, but Paul's now going to ask him, hey, let that flow to Onesimus who wronged you. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Oh, to live with the saints above, won't that be glory? But oh, the ones we know, that's another story. That's the point. But then, love for sinners, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. We live in a culture that is desperate 
for real fellowship. And you share that with unbelievers. It's not mutual because they're unbelievers. But when you treat others the way God has treated you in Christ, you treat the rebel, the prodigal, the, the unsaved, the cussing, angry person at work. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we won't go there. You, you know, you know. Listen, when you treat them like Jesus, it, I, it just does a lot of things. And you don't know what it does because it's in the heart. The thing that brought me to Christ is a librarian who treated me in ways that impacted my heart and drew me to Christ and to this church. Out there, outside the walls of the church. It's an amazing thing. We're going to see in a moment, fellowship is sharing your faith. And one way to share your faith with the unbeliever is not just taking them through four points and, and, and pushing them for a prayer or a decision. One of the ways you can share your faith is by showing them the love of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. And why do you do all this? It's all due to your love for the Savior whom you relish. I relish my time with Him. I want you to enjoy it. I relish my time with Him. I want to share it with you. I'm telling you, we talk about everything else. I talk about other things that I relish. I relish my wife, my daughter. I relish the chiefs. I relish barbecue. I, 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 I talk about all those things. But I also relish Christ. I treasure Christ. Therefore, I want to share Him. I want to. Do I do this perfectly? No, I do not. Do I need to grow in this? Yes, I do. But I do do it. Do you? That's the question. That's the question. All right, let's keep moving. That's benchmark number one. Real fellowship is radiating fellowship. But here's the, the meat of this passage. Real fellowship is radical fellowship. It is radical. Listen, if you think fellowship is, is, a, is a potluck, all it is is a potluck. We're going to have, um, on Palm Sunday, we're going to have love feast right down here and take the Lord's Supper. And there will be chicken, Jim. There, it will be very Baptist. There will be chicken for all, right? But what's going to make it real fellowship is not merely that we're uh, uh, eating, but real fellowship is radical. And let's just see how radical it is. Look at verse 6. This thing is power-packed. Verse 6, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Now, verse 6 moves from the reason, which is in verses 4 and 5, to the content of his prayer. So the reason he's giving thanks is because Philemon's faith is radiating out to others, towards Christ, towards others. But the content of his prayer is that his fellowship would become effective and radical. So let's break down these phrases. There is, it, it's weird that so much is in that simple verse. So let's look at it very quickly. What does the fellowship of your faith mean? 
You can see different translations. Fellowship, sharing, part, participation, partnership. I, 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 I try to include all those ideas because they're all there in that word. The partnership we show by sharing fellowship with other believers that springs from our common faith in Christ. So the first thing that he says, the fellowship of your faith is that first point. Your fellowship should flow from your faith in Christ. Okay. Second phrase, what does effective mean? And that's the key. What does effective mean? It means to be active, to be working, to be productive. It means to bear fruit. Something is effective, and I've gave, given you some cross-references. We can't look those up. You ought to look those up. Effective in the Bible is something's effective because it's energized by God's power for His purposes. So, another verse that has this word in it three times is Philippians 2, 12 through 13. I have that in your notes. Here Paul says this, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And here's the words for effective, energizing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's at work in you, similar word, both to will and work, there's the word again, for his good pleasure. Paul is praying that Philemon's fellowship would prove to be radically effective and energized by God himself. That he would have radical fellowship with Onesimus. They would both work out with one another what God has already powerfully worked in both of them by grace through faith. Are, are you with me? So he's saying, look, Philemon, I know you're a believer, and I'm about to tell you that Onesimus is a believer, so God has worked in both of you. Now I want you to work it out between you, work out what God has already worked in you, so that you have an effective, energized radical fellowship that the world can't, can't understand. And they want, but they can't experience it because they don't know Christ. Radical fellowship is working out with one another what God has already worked in you. So again, let me, you're going to think I'm, I'm hammering on the, uh, well, let me hammer on both extroverts and introverts. So introverts think, I can't do this. Oh, yes, you can, because God works it in you and through you. Extroverts think, I can do this without Christ. I can just do it with my vibrant, bubbly personalities. You know, why can't everybody else get in on the party? Well, for one thing, it's not about your bubbliness. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God is working through you. Man, this, this, I'm telling you, this hits where we all are. Okay, we got, I, I got to keep moving on these, what these phrases mean. What's, what's the, what does through the knowledge of every good thing mean? What does through the knowledge of every good thing? Well, here's 
how I understand it. A deeper understanding of the many blessings of being in Christ through personal experience. As you share these blessings with other believers, especially those who don't deserve it. The idea of the knowledge of every good thing is this. In Christ, in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It's in there. And once I teach you that verse, which I just did, you now know it in your head. But you know, you won't know it by experience until you start sharing those blessings with other believers. Are you with me? He's saying this. Radical, real fellowship is radical because you don't know the blessings of it until you experience it. So he's saying, Philemon, you've experienced this in the past, but I want you to experience it with Onesimus, and that's going to be radical. You're going to have to take your knowledge of who you are in Christ and the blessings that you have in Christ, and I want you to share them with Onesimus, who doesn't deserve them, who you're irritated at, who has wronged you, shamed you publicly, which in Middle East, shaming, honor, that's a big deal. That's what that means. It's through personal... So here's what I want to say to you. If you have shallow fellowship where you're depending on the, re, the relationship others have in Christ, you're, you, until you experience radical fellowship, there's aspects of Christ that you know nothing about. There's aspects of your relationship with Christ that you are missing out on. You can only know as you fellowship with other believers. Now, some of you ought to be shaking your head saying, yeah, I've been there. I know that. I know that's true. I know that's true. What is every good thing which is in you? Well, you should know that at this point. All the blessings every believer has in their heart as a result of their relationship to Christ that is to be shared with others. Every good thing is the one another's. Every good thing is especially, I, I can think of three blessings. Love. Christ has loved you. Therefore, share that with others. Forgiveness. Christ has forgiven you. So share that with others. Acceptance. He has loved you and he has accepted you. Share that with others. And then reconciliation. All of We could go on and on and on. And then what does it mean for Christ's sake? So look again at verse 6. Every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Now, different translations have this. This, this, is, this is, Paul phrases this differently. It's very unique. He doesn't usually phrase it this way. And basically what he's saying, he's emphasizing all this is to be done to bring glory to Christ. All this is to be done toward him. So see, here's the thing. When you've got someone that's hard to love, when you've got a believer, and we're talking about believers, 
When you got a believer that's hard to love, you know, you may be married to him or her. You know, you may be, uh, they may be your parents. They may be your kids. But when you have believers that are hard to love, all right, then the idea, what am I trying to say? The, oh, here, here it is. Here, here's, I, I lost it for a moment. When you have people that are horizontally hard to love, you need to reach out to them as you look up to Christ. It's toward Christ that you do that. If you focus too much on the person, what happens? You tell me. Huh? It's not going to work. But why is it not going to work? But if you focus too much on the person. Who said that? Human? Who said that? Yeah, they're human. And what are humans? Sinners. They're imperfect. So if I look, if I'm crossways with with, uh, Esther, Carmen... If I'm crossways with Carmen and I look too much at her, I'm going to come up with all sorts of reasons why I don't want to have fellowship with her. But as I reach out to her and I do it for the glory of Christ, all of a sudden I can do this. Well, I can do it because what? He, he works it through me. You with me? And I'm telling you, if you've ever counseled people that are crossways, yeah, but he, but she... But they, but you don't understand, and they go down the deep rabbit hole of bitterness and always rehearsing the past. I've been there. When you're hurt, that's what you do. But you've got to do it toward Christ because Christ says, Ah, but Chris, you were all those things and more, and I loved you. You were all those things and more, and I forgave you. Now, I'm working that in you so that you do that for others. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, bring up that next slide. Let me sum up what verse 6 is. There's a lot in verse 6, but let me sum it up this way. Real fellowship is radical fellowship because we become more like Christ. As we do it toward Him, we become more like Him, and we will then draw others to Christ. I'm forgiving you because Christ has forgiven me. Run to Him. As we, as we grow in our understanding through the experience of every good thing in us. There's the relationship. This, I have this relationship with Christ. And now I'm experiencing more of it in fellowshipping with you. By actively sharing every good thing that's in us. There's fellowship. That's fellowship. So you got relationship. you got fellowship with those who need it from us. That's the breakthrough. That's the breakthrough when you share it with those who need it from you. Whether that be love, forgiveness, reconciliation, acceptance, or any other good thing. That's the radicalness of it. All for the fame of Christ. That's real fellowship. I I walked you through it all. It's all in verse 6. There's a lot there. You're like, I don't know if I understand that. Experience it, and you will understand that. Everything that you need 
to reconcile with someone who has offended you, that has repented and asked for forgiveness. Everything you need is all up here. It's all in Christ. So, let me give you the three principles. You say, okay, you kind of lost me there. I thought I might. So here's just the three principles. Here's the three principles. Hey, I'm sorry. You've got to work through verse 6. You've got to understand what those... There's a lot of phrasing there. Okay. So here's the principles. Number one, radical fellowship relates to others the same way God relates to us in Christ. If, if you're one that just needs it right there on the bottom shelf, just tell me what you're saying. There it is. Radical fellowship relates to others. You say, is that radical? Oh, yes, that's radical. You don't relate to them how your family related to you. You don't relate to them according to what your coworkers say to do. Man, the worst thing you can ever do is ask your coworkers for life advice who are not born again. Number one, who are not born again. And I'll say to this, number two, who are not a part of your local church that knows you and understands you and has fellowship with you. Okay? I'm not saying you can't ask other Christians. I'm just saying we sometimes go. The first place our reaction is to go to someone that doesn't know us so that we can get the answer we want. Well, I don't want to go to Pastor Chris and Pastor Bruce. I know what they're going to say. That's the problem, right? (laughs) We need to hear the biblical truth. So think about this. Think about how many verses say, forgive just as I forgave you. Love just as I loved you. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands just as the church submits to Christ. It's all this principle right here. That's the principle. Number two. Oh, why is this radical? Because only Christians can do it. But you know why it's radical, sadly? So few Christians choose to do it. This right here. It's radical. Because only Christians can do it. But it's also radical because so few Christians choose to do this. Number two, radical fellowship draws on divine resources to break through fellowship barriers. Christ has worked it in you. You work it out with others. Why is this radical? Because it acknowledges every good thing that's already in it. In us and applies it to our difficult relationships. This is what makes it experiential. So it's like we are in such our culture, we are in such a self absorbed Christianity. I mean, it, it, so many praise songs are not communal, they're individual. You know, it's like a, a, a Christian love song to God. You know, it's like just me and God. But here's what's radical is all that God has done. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating that. Okay, that's one aspect. But everything that God has done for you is meant to be shared with other believers. So listen to me. Listen to me. It's hard for me not to say. I want to say this right. You got you can't force fellowship on others. 
But you've got to get in smaller groups to experience this. You can't do that. That's why we have congregational worship. We have class learning time here. And then we have small groups. Because you can't experience this until you get into smaller groups and even micro groups within that group. That's why the women's Bible study, they, they, you study on your own during the week. Then you come and you see about 20 minutes of teaching. And then you break up in your tables. And that's where this starts coming through. So I'm just trying to give you ways to apply it in our church. Number three, radical fellowship lives on the other side of fellowship barriers for the glory of Christ. Oh, man. Radical fellowship lives on the other side of fellowship barriers. That's where it's, that's where it's at, folks, on the other side. On the other side. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. Coming to church late, leaving church early, avoiding interacting with people, sitting in a grow group and not sharing out of your relationship with Christ. You're missing out. You're living, you're letting, whatever, there's barriers in your life. I'm just telling you, there's barriers. And you're living on the wrong side of the barrier. You need a breakthrough. And Christ can do it. And if you're born again, He is doing it. What unbelief, what sin is holding you back? What fear, what anxiety... It's scary. Fellowship makes you vulnerable. Fellowship is humbling, but God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace. Okay. And by the way, fellowship can be work and it can be tiresome. Jensen's host our group. That's work. That's work. But on the other side, is refreshment. I hope that's what we pray. Here's benchmark number three. Real fellowship is refreshing fellowship. Real fellowship is refreshing fellowship. Read verse seven. Look at verse seven with me. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother, brother. Now, I filled this out for you because I wanted you to understand that second point. The heart of it is verse 6. We're going to talk about the rest of this through the coming lessons. But I just want you to see that in just verse 7, real fellowship is refreshing Because it brings greater joy. I have much joy. Refreshment always results in rejoicing. Number two, great encouragement. I have much joy and comfort. Boy, there's nothing more draining than Christians not getting along. Can I hear an amen? And yet there's nothing more refreshing than the unity and the fellowship of God. Believers. Number three, greater thanksgiving. I thank my God always 
And don't forget to thank the person who has refreshed you. Paul is doing that by telling Philemon how he prays. Number four, greater prayer. This doesn't happen apart from Christ. Greater testimony. Look at that last word in verse 7. He says, brother. He ends with brother. It's the last word in the verse. And I, I, when I read that, I kind of wonder, is Paul saying brother? Exclamation mark. Or is he saying, brother? Brother, are you going to prove to be a brother to Onesimus? When I think of refreshment of hearts through fellowship, there used to be an old commercial, the Nest Tea Plunge. How many people remember the Nest Tea Plunge? All right? The guy would drink it, and then he'd go back and do a trust fall into the pool. And then it would be, ah. So here's my question for you. When you interact with other believers and you walk away from them, do they go, ah, or do they go, oh? Do they take the nesty plunge because you're breaking through the barriers? Are you refreshing the saints? Or does your, your relationships with others depress the saints? Or are you oppressing the saints? Is your fellowship real? Does it meet the benchmarks? Is it radiating? Is it, is it, I I forget, is it radical? And does it refresh? Real fellowship radiates out in a radical way to refresh hearts. And beloved, I say to you, brothers and sisters this morning, if you are a believer this morning, you can do this. In Christ Jesus, you can do it. And it's messy, and it can be inconvenient, and it's spiritual work, but it's worth it on the other side. Let's pray. Father, I just ask... We all need to grow in this. I, I, I'm convicted. I, there's areas that I've confessed I, I need to grow in. I pray for each person here that we would take, we would repent where our fellowship is less than real, where it's not really radical, it's not really radiating out to others. And sometimes people go, oh, instead of ah after interacting with us. Lord, I pray we would take next steps. Energize our faith. Make it effective through every blessing which is in Christ Jesus. And it's for your glory. And it's so that lost people can see our fellowship and say, I want in on that. I need my heart to be regenerated and refreshed. We pray this in Jesus' blessing. Amen.